much, uh, not much happening in Israel right now, you know, kind of a boring time to be there. Uh, I was over there with a team of about, uh, you know, uh, 20-some people from our Mariner's Church campuses, and it was interesting because one of the nights we got back, uh, I'm reading the paper, it was the day we had toured up around the Golan Heights where Syria is, and I get home and I hear in the news that Syria accidentally uh, lobbed a mortar into uh, one of the Israeli military bases up there, and Israel accidentally fired a missile back at them just to say, hey, we heard and we got it, but we never saw anything about it. And then we went on to Jerusalem, of course, and, you know, I get home that night and I see, oh, Israel decided to blow up the Hamas military leader in Gaza, which is, you know, about 50 miles south. And we never really heard or saw anything, and we were at Tel Aviv the last day getting ready to leave, and so the conflict had been going on two or three days. And Tel Aviv is about 30 miles from Gaza, and the planes have to take off towards the south, which is where Gaza is, because that's where the prevailing winds blow. And so the plane's taking off, and I mean like as soon as we're off the ground, it just banks like this, and you can see like the rockets like flying by as we're like turning. Totally kidding. (laughs) Didn't happen. But wouldn't that be amazing? Like Top Gun, you're like, talk to me, goose. Get this plane back to America. Um, So anyway, here's the deal. Israel is spectacular. And so I want to invite you guys next May, 1 through 10, is our next trip. And so just let God speak to you if you need to go or not. Uh, A quick update for you guys on the lead pastor search. Um, I try and do this every few weeks, and it's been a few weeks since I've been here. Uh, As you know, the journey we're in, looking to see who God is calling to lead this community. And there's been about 75 candidates, uh, some of which we have reached out um, to say, hey, would you consider being this person? Most of which have contacted us, which is always really affirming to say, we have a church community that people want to be a part of and they want to lead. There's a team that meets every single Wednesday, prays, um, looks over their resumes, looks at their teaching and video and stuff and goes, is this the right person? Uh, About 10 or 15 of those that team has felt like, okay, we, we need to take the next step with these, which would be to have our senior pastor, Kenton, and his wife, Lori, have a conversation with them. So at this point, out of that 10, they've talked to, I think, two in the last month. Uh, this is a tough season, as you could imagine, for them and to get a hold of people. But I just wanted to give you guys an update that there's some people we're excited about. And more importantly, they're excited about who we are. And most importantly, God knows exactly who it is. And so for us, it's just about chasing the story as best we know how. Um, to find his voice. So keep praying for us, keep praying for our community, um, and keep praying for the timing of all of that. Uh, Thanksgiving. Okay, part of Thanksgiving, Tim mentioned it already, is, you know, it seems like it's all about F-words. Friends and food and football and fun, right? So how many of you make some sort of, like, actual play football part of your turkey day adventure? Anybody? Like turkey bowls, like, let's get out here and mix it up with our neighborhood or your family. That's something we do. So the day after, it's become this big tradition. All of our friends and family in the neighborhood get together. And here's a picture of two of my kids and one of the neighborhood kids. Um, And we just have fun. And what's interesting is, I'm sure when that picture goes up, you're not mistaking them for an actual Chicago bear. And nobody's looking at my son Tate going, hey, that's Michael Vick. Like, nobody is mistaking them. But it's amazing how as kids, we learn how to pretend. Like, they're unbelievable. They know the names, and they know plays, and they just start making up language and jargon. And it's hysterical to watch them play. And part of this pretending, it seems like it never really leaves us as we get older. At least it didn't for me, and maybe you're a little like me. Uh, A few years ago, we were on a pastor's retreat, and our staff tends to be relatively competitive. 
And there is uh, an athlete on our staff. He's just amazing. The guy played baseball at UCLA. He was the number one draft choice of the Yankees years ago. And so I decided I'm going to take you on. And we were playing soccer, which is a sport that neither one of us had played. But we had the jerseys on, and so all of a sudden we think we are soccer players. And so we're out, and we're just battling and trying to kick the ball. And all of a sudden the ball comes up over about, about 10 yards from the net, and I'm thinking, I know exactly what I'm going to do, because I had just seen this on SportsCenter the week before. Right? Look at that. I mean, who wouldn't try that? That's unbelievable. So, you know, clearly, I jump up, the ball is there. I actually think I make contact with the ball, but the next thing I know is I'm just staring at blue sky and clouds, and I'm just lying there, and my back is killing me, and I think I'm slightly concussed. And I laid there for about three minutes, and I'm like, the guy on ESPN just jumped up and ran, and his teammates were like, you're amazing. And I just laid there for like 10 minutes going, clearly... The jersey and the shoes did not make me a soccer player that day. And it's interesting because as we go through life, we, we tend to think sometimes that those things become our identity, that if, if we wear the right clothes, you know, if I wear Kobe Bryant's basketball shoes, maybe I can be like Kobe, and it just doesn't happen. You know, but if we wear the right clothes, if we wear the right suits, if we wear the right accessories, if we shop at the right stores, if we drive the right cars, if we have the right job, if we live in the right neighborhood... That tends to identify us as something. And so today, as we continue this series in Colossians, we're going to see what it really looks like to live out the identity that we have in Jesus. You remember the story that we've been on. If you would, take your Bibles out, turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be starting today. There's an outline in your bulletin. If you want to take notes, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and somebody will give one to you. Feel free to write in it. The people next week will enjoy that. But as we've been going through Colossians, we've been discovering first and foremost that Christ is supreme. In him and through him, all things were created and have their life and being. We learned that not only is Christ supreme over all and in all and through all, but, but he is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That same power that same presence, that same identity is in you. And then last week we looked at the fact that we are not defined by our worst failure. Sin is not our master. We are not enslaved to that. And so this week you see what Paul's doing. He's kind of walking you down and getting a little more specific every single week about what does it look like to walk in the identity of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to have Christ in you, the hope of glory? What does it look like to discover and become all of who God designed and created you to be? Not somebody else that you compare yourself to or that you think you need to be or that you have to dress up like, but you. What does it look like to be you? Colossians 3, verse 1. Let's start right there. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died, and your life is now hidden. Now, so is Christ like hiding from you? Is this hide and go seek? Do you have to find something? No. But remember back in chapter 1, he describes Jesus as the treasure. 
And this life, this identity in Christ is this treasure. And it's hidden because of the darkness and because of the evil of this world that we walk in. So we have to consistently discover and become and search for that treasure to become all of who God designed us to be. He's saying the old life is dead. So discover the treasure of your new life identity in Jesus. And basically saying your, your hearts and your minds, your whole ambition, focus it on Christ, on things above, not on things of this earth. All of our attention, all of our focus, everything we're about needs to be set towards that. Well, how do we do that? This is real important we understand this before we get in, in more in depth into what he's talking about. So how would we set our hearts and our minds? How would we set our emotions and our thoughts on what's above? And why is this even important? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 gives us a clue. If you want, you can flip back there. Chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look how important the mind is. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. Paul is referring to that. He's saying all throughout the Bible, you look, Paul wrote like almost half of the New Testament. In all of his letters, just pay attention to how much he talks about your mind and how important right thinking is in terms of becoming who God created you to be. And so now you may be going, gee, that's really great. I understand that. But how do we think right? I mean, does God just give you that or what's our part in that? A few years ago, I came across this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And it revolutionized my life, literally, guys, because I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't even know how to think right. And this one verse changed it for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is important. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. I was sitting with a pastor, a friend of mine, a few, and he was going, what does this look like? And he said, Kyle, he just asked me this question. Is every thought that you have from God? No. Right. And he said, so how are you, how do you know which ones you're going to grab a hold of? Because if you don't stop them and grab a hold of them, they turn into feelings, which turn into actions. And so you have to take every thought you have captive and stare at it and look at it and go, is this from God? Is this my identity that's hidden in Christ and Jesus? Is this what he's saying and inviting me into? Or is this from Satan? Is this, is this a temptation? Is this going to lead me into a place that I don't want to go? Because here's what's important. Right thinking leads to right feelings, which leads to right actions. Okay? So the mind is so critical. And when you, bless you, and when you take captive every thought that you have, it's pretty easy. God actually wants to speak to you and make sure that you're holding his thoughts and not the thoughts of the world. He will tell you. And when you find ones that are from him, you just throw them aside, but you have to replace that space and replace that thought with truth. And so what we're going to have here is Paul's going to explain what that looks like for us in the rest of this passage. He's going to go into more detail about what it looks like. But it's really important we understand how we get to the core of our identity. So let's move on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Now I know what some of you are thinking. If you haven't been to church in a while, or maybe this is your first time, you're going, I knew it. I know what you guys do in church. Sing a few songs. Somebody asked me for a little money. And then you give me this list of things that I'm not supposed to do. And you're probably turning and kind of elbowing the person who brought you or invited you right now going, really? I knew this was going to happen. And the person's looking back going, he's not even our lead pastor. I don't even know who this guy is. Like, he, <laughs> I promise he won't be back. Listen, this is not moralism. This list is not some behavior list that if you avoid these things, you are earning an identity. That's not what Paul's trying to say. These aren't a list of behaviors to make you right. I mean, remember last week, everything we've been learning is you already belong to Christ. So these aren't earning you any favor or grace with God. Last week, we discovered, remember, that sin does not define us as followers of Jesus anymore. It's not those things. And the overarching story that we get in the Bible, the most important thing that we see over and over, one of the most powerful stories is this journey from slavery to freedom. We see that over and over with the Israelites. And what happens is, is they had been enslaved, and all of a sudden they're free, and they don't even know how to live as free people. And so God gives them all these rules and regulations to try and help them on their path. We don't know how to live as free people. And so Paul is simply saying, this is what it looks like to live free in Christ, in your identity. It's not a list of things to follow. I'm just showing you how to be free. He writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul's saying it's, it's not about is it legal or illegal? Is it law or not? He's saying everything is possible, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. And he's saying consider your identity. Consider that you once died, you have died, and now your life is hidden in Christ. Therefore, it should look free. He doesn't want us to become enslaved by the very things that captured us in the past, in our old life. And so he talks about taking off the old things that we used to wear. And it's not a qualification to become or to belong. It's just an indicator of what's already true, that we do belong. And this is important. I used to get hung up on this so much. I used to look at this as a list and, you know, sort of like have it as a scale in my life. And just pin these things to my heart and say, okay, as long as I avoid these things or just do less of them, somehow I'm earning God's love and God's acceptance and his favor. Or maybe even the love and acceptance and favor of the church or my family or my friends. That's not why these are here. He's just saying, you have an identity in Christ. In you, the hope of glory. This is what it looks like to live in that freedom. Put these things off. Put them to death. 
He goes on in verse 9. He says, don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. I love the verb tenses here. Have taken off the old self. It is past tense. It is gone. It is over with. And you have put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed. Back to that hidden identity, the treasure of Jesus, about discovering and becoming every day more of who he's called and created us to become just like him. He's saying, that's old, that's gone, that's dead. It's over. Now, this is true of you. And it's not just true today. It becomes more true every single day that you walk in that identity with Jesus. And it's interesting here to see who does the work of removing and putting to death. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. Earlier, he says, put to death these things. Who does that work? You. You do. How do you do that? By choosing, by believing that this story up to this point that we've been looking at in Colossians is true. That what God says in his word is true. That Christ is this incredible gift of God to us, to live like us, to be with us, to know us, to understand us, and then ultimately to pay the price for our own sin and our own brokenness and our own humanity, and then to be resurrected to new life, to be where? Seated with God, just like he says in Colossians. And so then we simply say yes to that. We just choose it. And in that, there is a dying to the old self. And we put on some new things, and walk forward in this identity. And who did all the work for that? God. What do we have to do? We just simply believe. We simply believe that that story is true. And then we put to death every day. And how do we put to death? Right thinking leads to right feelings, which leads to right actions. We put it to death every day by right thinking, by taking every thought captive, by remembering who God is and who we are in Christ, the hope of glory. And God does all the work of newness. And it's interesting, we've talked about this before, right? The newness here is not like some remodel. It's not like he comes and changes the carpet color and puts a coat of paint in your life, and it's still the same old framework. The word new that he uses there, you are a new creation, there is a new humanity. It is brand new. It's something that never before existed. He creates it brand new. And he continues with this picture of the new humanity. In verse 11, he says, There's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He's saying the classic ways of labeling and dividing people and societies through centuries are now eliminated in Christ. So race and social class and religious custom and language and be, all of those things don't matter because of Jesus. So people that normally would never talk to each other, would never hang around each other, would never dress alike, can now all be in the same room and are united because of Christ. And 
The tough thing is, just like that culture, we tend to hold on and we like labels and names. Because it's a way for us to manage and control the world around us. And we tend to start thinking those things are our identities. Watch, how, watch, watch this. So let's just say we just met. There's lots of holiday parties coming up, right? Christmas and whatever. And Thanksgiving maybe, and there's always the, you know, co-workers you don't know or the crazy aunt or uncle you see once every two or three years. So I'm now the crazy uncle, and I'm just meeting all of you at a party. Hey, you guys. Uh, my name's Kyle. What's your name? No, seriously. I'm really looking for your name. Everybody all at once. So hey, guys. My name's Kyle. What's your name? Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Hey, um, so what do you... Awesome. That's really fascinating. So where do you live? Yeah. Where did you go to... See how easy this is? What are we doing? We're categorizing. We're labeling. We're forming a picture in our heart and mind of the false identity that we tend to hold to. Because we fill in those blanks, right? And, hey, so what do you do? And if I answer the question, well, hey, I work uh, right down here at the movie theater, you go, oh, that's nice. Or if I say, well, I'm a sports agent, you go, oh, that's cool. Where do you live? I just live right down the road here in MV. Oh, that's nice. I live actually up the hill in Ladera. Oh, I live over the hill in Kodo. Oh. <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Oh, I'm just going to Saddleback College right here. Oh, that's great. Well, I go to UCLA. Hmm, that's interesting. I go to USC. <laughs> do you see what happens, though? We start just forming a picture, and this is a false identity that we all are building our lives on. And not only do we do it to other people, we do it to ourselves because it's comfortable. Because if I can answer these questions the right way, and which I know is appropriate and causes your eyebrows to go up and think, that's pretty impressive, then I must be doing okay. And Jesus and Paul are saying, it doesn't matter. That's not who you are. That can't be the most important thing. And it's not. So stop pretending and comparing and earning and working towards that. It's not the most important thing. And then Paul goes on to reinforce the identity that we have in Christ, the hope of glory. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Now, these are familiar titles. We see these all through the Bible, but they're usually reserved for a couple people. The first one is Israel, God's chosen people. We see that over and over. The second one is Jesus. God over and over is saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He is holy. He is perfect. He is dearly loved. He is special. There's no accident that that language is now put on you. Because why? Your identity is in Christ. And so he is saying, you, chosen ones, holy, dearly loved. And then he calls you to your identity. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another 
If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Our identity in Christ. He's saying, here's a list of things to counteract the other list. Not of things to achieve because they will earn you any status or favor. Just things that you should naturally be wearing as a follower of Christ. And I think we understand this. Like nobody needs lots of explanation about those words that we need to put off. Sexual immorality, lust, anger, malice, rage. Nobody's going, hey, can you explain to me what that... We know. And nobody... We know what this list looks like too. Compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, patience. Nobody's going, oh man, if only I knew what that looked like, I could do it. You see, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's not easy because none of these things come naturally to us. What comes naturally to us is that old list. What comes naturally to us is the old self. But Paul's saying, wait, that's gone, remember? That's dead. You died to that. Put on, being renewed. And it's something that we have to choose to put on every day through right thinking and right feelings and right actions. And the problem is you can't just throw these new things on over the old. That would be crazy and impossible. Right? Nobody puts brand new clothes on over old clothes. Uh, okay, let me, last weekend, we had a family wedding my wife and I had to go to. So it's kind of a big deal. You got to get all dressed up and stuff. And, you know, so I put on the suit and tuck shirts in and put a belt on. My mom's all happy. And, you know, my wife's looking hot and she's got her, you know, black dress and everything. And so we go to this wedding. Now, here's the deal. It's Saturday night. Okay. All day, we had been racing. My wife wakes up. She runs first thing in the morning. Then that day, we have four soccer games for the kids that are in our house, plus snacks, plus we're getting food. We're running around. We're trying to get things ready for babysitters. We are just a sweaty, stinky mess by the time we get to that night. What would you think if we just decided to, oh, I'm just going to throw this suit on over these gym clothes and let's just do this? And my wife shows up with her dress over her little tights and workout gear, and we're just, oh, let's put our hair up. And hey, guys, and you're like, you stink. Are you kidding me? Do you not know you're supposed to shower and, like, change something and put something off before you put something on? We know all Paul's doing is going, guys, put it off. It's gone. It's dead. Put this on. This is what it looks like to live out your identity in Jesus. But as Americans, we like the American Western Christianity is all about addition, not subtraction. And we see it all over America. And you know what the proof of it is? Yard sales. Who else has yard sales? I mean, just tons of stuff that you don't need anymore that somebody else is willing to take and even pay for. That's crazy. Have you guys ever had yard sales? Who's had a yard sale? Garage sale, anything like that? Right. The most difficult thing now about yard sales, my kids... Because they're, all, you know, they're grown up now. You saw Katie. He's like 10 and 8 and 6. And there's stuff we have that they've had since they were like babies. So we're hauling things out of the garage and putting it out there just to get rid of it. 
And they're like, oh, I got it. You can't get rid of that. that. I used to love this. And it's like a tricycle that they can't even fit on, and their knees are all scraped. And, you know, they're blowing dust off of toys that they haven't seen in years. But somehow they're like, I need that. I can't get rid of that. One of them last time was a bag of pacifiers. <laughs> so here's the deal. We had a couple kids, those two, that were addicted to pacifiers. And so my wife and I devised an ingenious plan of how we're going to break them of this. And they were desperate for bikey boards when they were like three. You guys know what a bikey board is? Like a little skateboard with handlebars, okay? And so they're like, oh, and I said, here's the deal. How many pacifiers do you have? They had pacifiers. I mean, and I'm like, I think you can afford a bikey board for the price of your pacifiers. And so I called the store, and I said, hey, we're coming in with our kids. They're going to bring you a plastic bag full of pacifiers. Just take it and pretend like that's exactly the price of the bikey boards, and then I'll actually pay you after they leave the store. And he's like, okay, great. And it actually worked. It was really great. So anyway, that was it. They never wanted a pacifier again. Like, this is great. So I just stuffed them up in the garage or something when I got home, you know, because the guy at the store is like, here, I don't need these. And so we get home, but I actually just, you know, we're cleaning our garage out and emptying stuff, and all of a sudden my kids come across the pacifiers. And they're like, what, they returned our pacifiers? Or you lied. Like, you know, dad lied. And it's like, son, you're 10. You don't need the pacifiers anymore. What Paul is saying, you're grown up. Your identity is in Jesus. There are behaviors and customs and things of the old life that used to pacify you. It never brought you everything you wanted and were looking for. It was comfort for a moment. Put those things off. Become who you're called to be. Live out your identity in Christ. Live it to its fullness. It doesn't look like that anymore, and you don't need that stuff. Move forward. Be renewed every single day by the renewing of your mind. Live out what's already true of you. He goes on in verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. One of the translations says, let the shalom of the Messiah be your heart's decision maker. Isn't that just peaceful the way it sounds? Let the shalom of the Messiah be your heart's decision maker. And then I love the next sentence, which is all of three words. And be thankful, period. Be thankful. You see, I think Paul's at the point of going, guys, do you see the gift? of an identity in Christ? Do you see the power? Do you see the hope? Do you see the freedom from slavery and the things, the old life that we used to cling to that really just trapped us? Do you see how we build our life on sinking sand and, and things that aren't us just trying to prove ourselves to God or to each other or to the church? And he's going, all that's gone and done away with. You have a new identity in Jesus. God created you uniquely. The only response then would be Thankfulness. And it's not like some warm, fuzzy feeling thankfulness, like I am thankful. In my heart, God, you know I'm thankful. Because he goes on to describe what it looks like. 
Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitudes in your hearts. This is a corporate, out loud, public expression of gratitude and thanks. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do should be an act of thanksgiving and gratitude. And he's saying, when you gather, this is why we come, right? This is it. Because there's this word that shows up over and over in the Bible called remember. And that's why we gather. Because we have to remember the story. We have to remember who God is. We have to remember who we are with our identity in Christ. And we just go, oh, that's right. God, you are loving. You are powerful. You created everything. You gave me an identity. You forgave my sins. You empower me today. You speak into my story. And so my only response can be thankfulness and singing and all of us collectively going, that's right. That's why we're here. But he doesn't stop there. Because there's this word that we have for that, and it's called worship. And worship is our response to who God is. And Romans 12, the very first verse says, your whole life should be a living sacrifice. And this is your act of worship. You see, it's not just about this 75-minute gathering on a weekend of thankfulness. Because he goes on and he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, all of this carries the story. So worship doesn't end when we walk out those doors. It just transitions to a different space. Because he's saying your whole life should be a response of worship and of gratitude. Every conversation you have should be an opportunity to respond to what God's saying to you in that moment. Everything you do should be an opportunity to grab your thoughts and go, is this true or untrue? And how am I going to respond to that? And am I putting off my old self? Am I walking in what he's calling me to, compassion and kindness? Am I representing Jesus? Is my identity in Christ or am I worried too much about what people think about what I'm wearing or what I'm driving or where I work or where I live? Is my identity rooted and grounded in this and am I responding to other people in that same way? When I see other people, when I talk to them, in my words, in my deeds, am I living out the profound story of identity in Christ? Everything is done. And guys, it's happening. There's people in this room. Tim was mentioning stories about Thanksgiving. It was unbelievable to see the labels and the names and the old self that people just were putting off as a result of being a part of this community and what Jesus is doing here putting off addictions, putting off brokenness, putting off aloneness and abandonment and fear and isolation for the sake of community, for the sake of compassion, for the sake of sobriety, for the sake of the identity that they have found in Jesus and the freedom that comes with that. God is moving and he's inviting us to grab a hold of that same story. And not just for us, but for the world around us, to change the world with the story. I mentioned to you guys before that we have, um, we do this program called Safe Families, which we do here at Mariners MV, and basically it's where the county partners with families in the church to take in kids whose um, parents are in crisis. And so a couple weeks ago, actually while I was gone to Israel, that happened with us, 
And so we took in a little girl. Uh, her name's Desiree, and she's seven. She's in second grade. And we kind of know a lot about Desiree's story and everything, and this isn't the first time this has happened to her. It happened a couple years ago, and it's kind of been a bumpy journey in her family. And they talk about the first couple weeks being like a honeymoon period for when you do that. It's really great, and it's a new situation, and it feels like a vacation for the kids. But after a couple weeks, reality starts to close in, and questions start to come. And that happened to Desiree this past week. And my wife called me, and she said, I just got done talking to Desiree. She was eating breakfast, and all of a sudden just started crying. So Holiday said, Desiree, what's wrong? And, and she just goes, will I ever see my mom again? What am I doing here? Where are my sisters? And most importantly, are you going to give me away too? Am I going to end up in an orphanage? She's seven. So Holiday calls me, and she's like, I think you need to talk to her. And I'm like, I don't think I do. I think you did a good job. Whatever you said, <laughs> I'm all for it. But God gave me an opportunity later that day. She was playing at the park, and I just said, hey, come here and sit down. And I just said, Desiree, I heard you talk to Holiday this morning. And she just started crying. And I said, I know how confusing this must be for you. I can't even imagine. Those are big questions that nobody should have to wrestle with, especially a seven-year-old. And I said, but I want you to know a couple things. I said, number one, you're safe. You're safe with us. And we are not going to give you away to an orphanage or to another family. We will not abandon you. And I said, we're going to walk this story out with you. And then I reminded her of who she is and how great she is. And what am I doing in that moment? I'm helping her put off the old self and the names and the labels that she already wears at seven years old. Like afraid and alone and abandoned and unlovable. And I'm saying, no, that's not true. You are loved. You are valuable. You are precious. You are not alone. You don't have to be afraid. This morning, there are labels and there are names and there are parts of the old self that some of you have been wearing. And your Heavenly Father is saying, it's not true of you. Take it off and leave it here. And he wants to speak the truth and remind you of your identity in Jesus. There's a couple cards that are in your bulletin. We've been interacting with this orange card and there's a white one in your bulletin this week as well. I want to invite you, if you would, to take it out. And the... The orange one that just says greater than, we've just been putting in the left line the word Jesus. Jesus is greater than. And just acknowledging that truth, our identity in Jesus. And on the right side, I want you to consider what Jesus is greater than today. What is part of the old self that you've been wearing, that you've been looking for comfort in? The label, the name, the behavior 
the thinking that's broken. And today, just acknowledge and surrender and go, Jesus is greater than that. That is not my identity. That is not who I am. For me, my word today, as I look back at that list, is anger. Jesus is greater than my anger. And anger is, there's always something underneath it. And for me, what's underneath it is control. When I can't control things, when I feel out of control, a lot of times the way it expresses itself is intensity and anger with my wife or with my kids. And so for me, Jesus is greater than my anger and my control and my pride. And here's the thing. I don't want to walk out of here today with this, and I don't want you to walk out of here today with this. And so one of the things we're going to do as we sing and respond today is we're just going to, there's a couple crosses at the front of the room, and I just want to invite you guys, um, whenever you have what it is that God's speaking to you, just stand wherever you're at, come forward, and leave it. Don't, don't, don't take this with you. What I do want you to take with you is this white card just as a reminder of your identity in Christ. And maybe even just write the words put on. And if there's one or two that resonate with you today that God's calling you to put on and remember about your identity, for me, it's kindness and gentleness. Maybe just circle those. But take this with you. Put this in a place where you see it this week. Let me pray for you guys as we respond. Jesus, today... We remember the truth of who you are. We remember the power and the sacrifice and the love and the invitation. For us to choose you, to choose that identity, to put aside and to take off the old things, God, that we might accept and receive and discover and become all of who you created us to be in Christ. As you have been speaking to us and you continue to speak to us, Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us to be courageous and honest in our response today. And even in our posture of of filling these out and leaving them at the cross, God, that that would represent a moment where we are truly leaving and abandoning these behaviors and these thoughts, these labels, these names, these false identities that have been built into our stories. And God, that we would move with a sense of freedom and joy and abundance because of our identity in you. Heal us in this time as we respond to you.